0: Log Talk Radio. Log Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world. Of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer.
1: Hello, and welcome. And yes, this is Cindy Meyer, and this is the weekly Spirit Seeker Hour brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. And I'm going to do all of the announcements up front, and then I will bring my guest on. So the different announcements are as follows. Spirit Seeker has been published for 20 years throughout the United States and to Canada, and we are now read in Europe, and... What's interesting to me is that I get emails from all over the world, just saying thank you, thank you, thank you. And we we are in print in Chicago, St. Louis, and Kansas City, and then of course throughout those states. Um, we also ship to conferences throughout the U.S. and we will be shipping magazines to I think it's ten different conferences. We will be at Mind Body Spirit Conference in Chicago. We'll be at the bhakti Fest in Chicago. We'll be at Celebrate Your Life in Chicago. We'll be a, uh, at AMA Event in Chicago. We'll be at the Transformation Conference, um, also in uh, Arkansas, which of course is Dolores Cannon's founding event and Dolores made her uh, transition last year. So all of these wonderful, wonderful conferences. This is just to name a few. will also be in Kansas City at the um, Kansas City Metaphysical Expo and UMK Expo. And we're just shipping more and more. We'll be at the Vegetarian Festival, et cetera. So what does that mean? What it means is that more and more people are finding their way to Spirit Seeker with the print copy in their hand. But because we've been published online since 1998, many, many people are finding us um via that avenue. So um, they're finding us online, and that's where our main thrust is now. And the way you can help us support that vision of reaching more people globally is by joining our email newsletter, which is a sacrosanct email newsletter that goes out weekly. It lets you know about all these different events all over um the, the US. We have a wonderful, wonderful meditation retreat called Awakening Joy coming to St. Louis. You'll find our magazines there. You'll find it at the Institute of Noetic Sciences conference. And when you join the email newsletter, we let you know about all of these different events. We let you know when the magazine is online. Um, we let you know who the weekly radio show guests are, etc. So all that aside, the only thing that you have to do is Um, send an email to info at com, and we will um, add you to our email list. And we don't sell the email list, but what we do do is we um, email you when things are happening. So we do allow other people to advertise their uh, events if they are in sync with our vision and so um, that's pretty much how we do it. So we love um, we love the new people that we meet each you know, each and every uh, month. We love um, knowing that you're listening, and uh, we just can't thank you enough. Now today I am interviewing James Baraz, and I'm having trouble for some reason finding him on my switchboard. And I have done everything that I can. So what I may have to do is um, ask James to call in again. So James, if you are hearing me in the side room, if you would be kind enough to call in our uh call-in number again and I will watch for your call. I'm not sure why I'm not able to see your phone call. So, and guess your number um you to call in, you have to call 347 um 8574447. Um and so we are live on the air and when you're there if you have a question for our guest you just um click one on your phone and then that will that will bring you um onto the call. So I am not sure what has happened here. Um James are you there? And I am just watching everywhere. I think I am going to try and call my guest, but in the meantime, let me just um Say that I love doing what I do. If you can't hear the passion in my voice, um, let me just tell you a little bit about myself until I get James on the phone. Um, I am a big believer in meditation, and that is the topic of the day that we will be talking about. Um, Meditation changed my life completely. Uh, I saw my first Swami when I was, I think, 18 years old. Um, okay, I am going to have to go offline for one second to try, and um, I don't even know how to do this. Let me look one more time. Oh, Ladies and gentlemen, there's probably going to be a pause as I go and start this show all over again. So stay put. I don't, I just can't imagine. I'm going to try one more thing. I'm going to try one I, uh, I saw, saw my first Swami, my, the gal that took me was in her 80s, her name was Marie Hishki, and I've just always been so grateful to Marie because she is the one who said, hey, hey, will you go with me um, and go see this Swami? And I said, well, what would that look like? Okay, I think I now have this figured out. Hmm, I still do not see my guest. I am on the air. Everything is here. Let me look at one more thing. um so Marie was in her eighties. She introduced me to Edgar Casey. She introduced me to um as I told you, the Swami at the Theosophical society and um she just she just was my my introduction to so many different things and um okay, I guess I'm gonna have to go off the air. I just do not understand this. I have looked everywhere, and I cannot find my person my guest so something has gone wrong um and I feel like you're probably saying what is this girl doing so what this girl is doing is telling you that meditation in and of itself is one of the most fascinating um fascinating things you gifts you can give yourself and um Mr. James Braz, when he gets here, is going to tell us about it, so I'm going to go bring him onto the call. I will be totally back. Okay, James, are you there?
0: I am and my name is Barris, by the way.
1: Oh, you uh, go by Barris.
0: Okay. Yes, yes, All not right. many.
1: Okay, thank you. Hi, this is Cindy Meyer again, back on the air, and my guest is with me. And um you'll be hearing about uh Baraz today. He's a founding teacher of Spirit Rock Meditation Center. James started the community Dharma Leader program, the Kalyana I hope I say this correctly, the <laughs> Network. Uh <laughs> And that is a teacher um, is a teacher advisor to the Spirit Rock Family Program. He also leads the Heavenly Messenger Training Program. He's been teaching the popular online Awakening Joy course since 2003. He is the co-founder with Shoshana Alexander of Awakening Joy, a wonderful book published by Bantam, which is based on the course. James has been focusing on Dharma and climate change in recent years and is an advisor to One Earth Sangha, a Sangha website divided to Buddhist responses to climate change. And James, I could go on and on. Your website (laughs) is fascinating, but welcome to the call. And let's just hear a little bit about how your journey started and um, what your vision is at this point with everything changing so rapidly in our world.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, nice to be here, Cindy. (sighs) Yeah. Um, how my journey started. Uh I uh, grew up in the in the sixties. I'm a child of the sixties and uh looking for answers to uh to real happiness and peace. And uh I guess I'd I'd say it really started reading Be Here Now by Ramdas, who became one of my teachers and mentors and uh When I went out to Naropa Institute in 1974 to see him, I uh, met Joseph Goldstein, who was my teacher, uh, my uh, meditation teacher, and uh, I knew I came home. And from that point on, even though I entered with a lot of suffering, uh, I was being told that it's possible to get out of suffering, and uh, I just really went for it. So um did a lot of retreats, uh, a lot of practice, and at some point was invited to do some teaching. And uh, I've been teaching ever since, and since about 1978. Um, so that's how I got started, and then... Would you say, where it's heading? Uh,
1: well, not so much that. I mean, just the fact that um, there's, I, I did not know this until I was preparing for the interview, that there are so many different Buddhists coming together to uh, talk about global warming and what we can do. Mm. I, I did not realize that there was that collective consciousness with honoring and stewarding the earth in that way as well.
0: Oh, definitely. Um Actually, uh, one of the things that inspires me is the uh, historian Arnold Toynbee, one of the the great historians from the 20th century, uh, he said that looking back on the 20th century, he thought that perhaps the most significant development would be Buddhism coming to the West. Um, And uh, I can see that uh, incredible foresight uh, to even think about that if you think of not just Buddhism, but consciousness, and now with the mindfulness explosion uh, everywhere, that we're in a race between fear and consciousness, as one one friend says. And so applying the teachings of wisdom and compassion and caring to our um, world that is suffering so much, uh, I think it's a very exciting and um um a time filled with opportunities and the more consciousness there can be uh the more effect it will have on uh hopefully sending the the, the this world in the right direction um so many teachers have come together over the last few years to uh, apply the teachings to um to climate change and and other Ways that they're suffering on the planet.
1: Well, and you know, it's interesting. I I had a gathering at my home yesterday for my um, youngest son's high school graduation, and we had we had so many diverse people. One was a psychologist. One um, works with Washington University, uh, a university in our city that, that works with sleep sleep. Disorders. Another couple were insurance agents. Another one works for United Healthcare. And so they were all just, a, you know, and I have worked with each and every one of them in some capacity or, or their relatives, et cetera. And this one gal works for United Healthcare. She was an emergency room nurse. I don't know, for probably 30, 40 years. And she is now working for United Healthcare in education. And so my cousin and her husband, the insurance agent, said, Oh, we're 65, so you're probably one of those people that calls us every month and tries to give us health choices. And she says, Yeah, yeah, that's the demographic population I work with. She says, But guess what we're getting to teach now? She said, I'm in training for it. And she says, you know, I've been a yoga teacher and, you know, I've I've been a meditator for I don't know how long. She says, but I'm actually learning the technique of mindfulness, and that is what I'm teaching the patients who have had heart attacks and all this other stuff. I'm teaching them mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Now, is that not incredibly amazing?
0: Uh, Right now, mindfulness uh, is the is the watchword is the cutting edge in so many different areas it's been on the cover of time magazine and newsweek and uh it's out here in uh where I am in California Kaiser it's one of the main programs that they have uh is uh, is mindfulness based stress reduction and cuz there's a lot of research that shows the Uh, the physiological and emotional benefits, uh, lots of studies. uh, So once you get science backing you, uh, people say, oh, maybe this stuff really works. And besides in the health industry, it's in corporations. Google has a Search Inside Yourself mindfulness program. Lots of companies uh out in California the cutting edge companies have mindfulness programs it's in education mindfulness in education the dc schools are using mindfulness out here in California lots of schools and school systems are are having mindfulness uh in their in their program because it it lessens conflict, and it improves uh, uh, academic performance and uh, and social intelligence. It's even used in the military. Uh, the military is now teaching mindfulness so that uh, it reduces uh, PTSD as right. people make uh, better choices. So it's everywhere. Uh, that's well, it's what's in happening.
1: Congress. It's in Congress. Thank you. It's in Congress. Uh, and yeah.
0: Ryan uh, right. Right. Uh, wrote a beautiful book, uh, The Mindful Nation. Uh, and he wants, to, and actually there are a number of uh, of congressmen and uh, staffers who teach, who learn mindfulness from some of uh, my colleagues. Uh, there's a, a a mindfulness class for judges as well in D.C. So it's kind of everywhere.
1: Right. Well, and, you know, Kaiser Permanente was the one who actually sponsored Deepak Chopra many years ago as this strange doctor from India who came to the States and, um, you know, I mean, we knew the, the Harvard-Benson response. We knew, you know, a lot of that data, but um, the first time I saw Deepak Chopra was in 1992. 600 people and the man never once called it meditation, Mm-hmm. Never once used that word, but there were doctors, nurses, general public. Um, all I knew is that this man that they'd heard about was coming to St. Louis, and it just seemed like in one week it sold out. And what he called it, and I, I've never forgotten this, he says it's lengthening the quiet pauses between the thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. That's a good way to say so it.
1: So I'd love to, to go segue from, from that to, because a lot of people still on this day are like, well what is meditation in Buddhism? Oh, I thought that was that suffering. You have to suffer to get to your joy and mm-hmm. there's still a lot of misconceptions on I don't know how to meditate. I sit down and my, my my mind is louder than if I wasn't sitting down and oh I can't sit still that long or there's just so many like you you, you know what I'm talking about. So Since you've already mentioned all these applications, especially with post-traumatic stress disorder and all the different places, like even a program for mindfulness for judges, what? since you've been at this since the early 70s, how would you explain what is happening right now with people? Is it just a fast-paced technology? Is it that people are realizing... That you know suffering isn't something across the world where terrible things are happening. it's in our own backyard i mean what what is your take? I just want to listen and hear hear you share your wisdom with us.
0: Oh well, well, um, I'm in the stress business <laughs> that's one way of thinking of it, and stress is not going away. it's only increasing, particularly with uh with pressures of modern life and also the um uh the intensity of stimulation uh there's uh, there's just more and more stress to produce to achieve to uh keep your head above water financially and there's uh, that much more internal stress as well as external stress so people are looking as they always have been for ways to relieve stress, but now it's becoming clearer and clearer that the stress isn't only because of uh, of something happening from the outside, but now there's more and more research that shows that um, that our suffering or our happiness is an inside job. And there are ways that, that people uh, have found that are very efficacious to reduce that stress, and mainly, it starts with getting to know your mind and seeing that you can make friends with your mind. And the more you can train the mind and train the heart, just like you'd train yourself to be a, a good uh, piano player, uh, the greater ease and peace inside.
1: Well, and I and I think that that is the is the perfect way to describe it. It's not something you pick up in one day and then you're a master meditator it's it's something that takes practice
0: the word practice is is the uh is the essential word underneath it all you're just practicing training the mind and the heart as as one uh famous quote uh, by the buddha that is now uh there's a, there's a corollary in neuroscience the buddha said whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of their mind. Uh, Modern neuroscience says it this way, neurons that fire together wire together. And the more you repeat anything, it becomes the default of your mind. So rather than repeating and having the default setting on stress, worry, uh, anxiety, uh, fear, Uh, if you start to shift the default and practice coming into connection with yourself, appreciating life, um, sharing your love well, uh, seeing how being alive is just a miracle, uh, all of those things, that starts to shift your default setting so you can start to uh, live well and share your gifts well.
1: But, Roz, when you um, encounter someone who has been in grief or suffering for a long time, perhaps from the loss of a loved one, perhaps, uh, you know, with all the downsizing of jobs and people, you know, well, and let's go back a few years with the um, so, so many people losing their money overnight that were in investments that just went south when everything kind of went crazy, you know, with the economy, I mean... And and so many people just don't seem to be able to totally, like, get out of that field, that, that vibrational field. So what is, how do you advise the people, let, let's start with grief, because grief, so many people just seem to be in grief at times, it seems, right, like right now. I don't know why I just him encountering. I think it's the holidays, the Mother's Day, and the different different things. And then, like, with graduations, you know, when you have a celebration. But then, oh, I wish, you know, I've heard from so many different people. I'm like, my goodness, you know, why can't you be here right now with who's here and celebrating? Why are you talking about, oh, I wish this person was here or whatever? So there's a lot of, like, almost melancholy that goes along with their joy.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And that's just a... Uh... Um a habit of mind that doesn't serve grief is natural there there's no uh not only no getting around it it's a it's a healthy kind of expression of processing loss when somebody that we we love passes away or when circumstances change and uh and we might you know lose a job or have a diagnosis or any any of life's inevitable challenges there's going to be grief it's not to say oh i'm above grief and i will not feel sad but if you're stuck there and you can't appreciate all the goodness around you then uh this is a, an unfortunate habit of mind that uh you haven't learned uh or you can learn more skillfully how to process your grief in a healthy way so that it integrates and that you feel connection to uh to all all people who experience grief. So it's not that you don't you don't feel the pain, you know, sometimes when people hear, "Oh, James Barris has that awakening joy program." Does that just A feel-good program. It's not a feel-good program, it's a feel-everything program, Um, but you need to learn how to hold your pain without it overwhelming you, and at the same time open up to all the goodness around you. Because we're wired up to look for, and particularly if our default setting Uh, has been practicing this, we are scanning the horizon for what's missing or what's wrong. There's a little almond-shaped cluster of neurons in our brain called the amygdala that scans the horizon for what can go wrong. And it's a good thing that it's there because uh, it's a survival mechanism. But if that's what's firing all the time, then we miss out on everything that's right. And so it takes some practice to rewire the brain and rewire the heart to see what's good as well as to uh, open up and be aware of, of what needs attention.
1: That's a beautiful way of describing that. And, you know, there's been so much research done on that part of the brain and people are like, what, what? But I think, don't you think that that part of the brain is what creates the quiet so that you can so that the firing rapid thoughts can slow down a little bit
0: yeah well that's what one way that meditation particularly mindfulness meditation uh works there's lots of studies on this we have what uh what Paul Ekman called uh, we go into a refractory period where when you get triggered and you lose it so to speak You know, you're out of your mind for a while and uh, you might think, oh, everybody's against me or, oh, this is going to go wrong or all of that. And we we literally kind of lose ourselves that refractory period while you're in it. There's very little that can shake you out of the trance. And after a while, you come to your senses. Maybe the next morning you wake up or two weeks later, you wake up and say, oh, my goodness, where have I been these last couple of weeks or months? and then you kind of come back. Well, mindfulness shortens the refractory period where you're not as lost and you come back to yourself and open up to um, a wise way of holding experience. Stress uh, definitely intensifies that, uh, that flight fight or freeze response and uh, meditation um, shortens it and actually allows us to feel that place of calm inside.
1: You know, I um, I classically trained in the early 90s with uh, transcendental meditation with the mantra. And, I, and I've and i studied with teachers from all over the world. And, I, you know, I'm very blessed in that I've just had teachers show up. You know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And... Um, you know, and then the the, the TM society just kind of disappeared, you know. I you didn't see them for a while and mainly what they were doing, from what I understand, is they were taking their work into the prisons, working with people who, you know, were going to be living behind bars for goodness, who knows how long. And um and working with that particular population in changing their thoughts and changing mm. You know their response time, so that they could slow it down and actually be aware of the triggers. You know, which is similar, what, in a different way, uh, to what they're doing with the uh, PTSD from this last war. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, of the Iraq, you know, situation, Afghanistan situation. It's, it's different than soldiers that have come home from different wars.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely especially when we're they're, they're being trained to override the natural impulse of um hesitating before uh before killing now the the training now is very different than it was um before vietnam where uh oftentimes a soldier actually wouldn't shoot uh directly at somebody in in earlier days and now they've trained them to override that that pause and uh, there's tremendous consequences where you're vigilant and, and ready to strike out, um, and uh, mindfulness, along with with TM, and I, I started with TM myself actually, but mindfulness is uh, is used both, as I said, in the military, but also in uh, in prisons. A lot of actually, there's a lot of Awakening Joy groups that have that have sprung up um in prisons where uh they go through the material together with with people and uh with leaders and uh can actually find well-being even in prisons and it's one of the most rewarding parts of what I've been teaching is getting uh getting letters and uh testimonials from from inmates in prison saying uh, this has really made a difference
1: well, and you're coming to St. Louis, June twelfth through fourteenth, and you'll mm. be um, the Mid America Dharma Society is bringing you. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about what that? It's a non-residential, so, that, so they come and they go home at night, but then they come back in the morning and spend spend the day. But is it mm. is is it a Vipassana retreat, or is it silence, or is it a little bit of everything? Uh,
0: it'll it'll be um, A bit of everything, it'll be mostly a um, a meditation retreat with the emphasis on um, awakening joy principles. So if you're new to meditation uh, and want to learn mindfulness or Vipassana meditation, uh, then uh, that could be a really good introduction. If you want to just make friends with your mind and learn very simple exercises. You don't have to be Buddhist, and you're not going to be asked to to uh, change any kind of, of spiritual tradition. It, this uh, goes along with any spiritual tradition. It's just a matter of learning to train the mind and the heart, be more aware, uh, feel more connected, and uh, feel... The kingdom of heaven within. If you're if coming from the Christian tradition, it's the same thing as uh, just feeling that still small voice and being able to hear it within. So there'll be some there'll be uh, meditation instructions, silent meditation, walking meditation, and the talks will be geared to um, how to create more happiness and well-being in your life.
1: Well, and listeners, this um, this retreat will be at the Maria Center, which is one of my all-time favorite places. It's right next to a river. It was um, a convent for many, many years. Um, some of the nuns actually still live there, but um, it's also a a school during during the school year. So, you know, you'll just hear children's voices, and then they have they just have happy things happen at this center, and it's the perfect place. I mean, absolutely the perfect place for you to be teaching. So um, so this is June 12th through 14th. You can find out information and register at midamericadharma.org slash retreats. And I'm going to spell that. It's M-I-D-A-M-E-R-I-C-A-D-H-A-R-M-A dot org slash retreats. And um, you'll be teaching um, the, the course, as I said earlier, is entitled Awakening Joy and you know if, if if I understand correctly the Awakening Joy course came before the Awakening Joy book Uh
0: the um yes the the course actually while I was writing the book I wanted to um test my uh my theories just how practically all of these um principles and exercises uh could affect one uh, in daily life and what I did was take my uh my own practice for a while. I became very serious about my spiritual practice, dead serious as I sometimes say, and I lost my joy and then I wanted to go back and see well what did what did I do that was uh where did I go wrong uh because uh the buddha was called the happy one but sometimes there's so much emphasis on suffering that uh that that one can forget that he was teaching about happiness so i looked at what the teachings were on happiness and um distilled them and presented them in a very accessible non-jargony way um and uh wanted to write about it, and as I was writing about it, I also wanted to see about um just how uh how it would affect people who were practicing it together. so I started out with just a couple of small groups of so about twenty people in each group and um and it seemed to uh, be effective, and then it just grew from there to a hundred and two hundred and five hundred and a thousand. And uh, so there's usually uh, about anywhere from uh, a thousand to two thousand people who do it together right now, the current, uh, the current course, which people can do online from anywhere. uh, There's about 1100 people that are doing it together. And uh, I wrote the book as I was, not only exploring the uh, the principles, but getting feedback from people doing the course, which I started in two thousand and three, and the book came out in two thousand and ten and uh yeah, if people practice it, it works so uh it's been a real great joy in my own life to be able to share that
1: i I think the internet was the greatest gift we've ever been given um you know a lot of people are saying oh you know it's keeping children from being you know like more communicative whatever i'm like are you kidding i don't think so i i mean yes and no i can see where it 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 could become um unbalanced but i think that the way we are all connected and being able to teach online there's still nothing as fabulous as a group coming together with um with a collective mind like you were talking about earlier you know the buddha said with our thoughts we make the world you know Mm -hmm. and i you know one of my favorite expressions is what we focus on expands well the young people of today they immediately connect. It's like, you know, I grok. I get you because they've got their Twitter lists. And it's like one person has something happen and then everyone everyone knows, you know. And um, there's a different kind of connection. It's almost like lightning speed the way they are connected through social media. And, like, Facebook is too slow for them. They're just into... Um, They're just into instantaneous, you know, connection faster. It's too slow. It's too slow. And so I just kind of laugh thinking about um, when, you know, I was a little girl, we had a party line. And what a party line was is when you picked up the phone, you shared a phone line with some other household. And sometimes you knew the person, sometimes you didn't, depending on the size of the town. But we've come so far now with these handheld devices in our hands that have instantaneous connection to anyone in the world. Now, when you see that power and you think, you know, of the studies they've, do, they've done with the neurosciences and, and the fact that, like, you know, since you know TM, like, there was a study way back when in Washington, D.C., where they had transcendental meditators on the White House lawn, and they measured the drop in crime out 50, 75, 100, 200 miles. Mm-hmm. And it was the coming together of the minds focusing on peace and focusing on love, and this to me is is just a miracle that we can now teach this online and you know so you've met people probably from all over the world through your online meditation courses i would think
0: mhm yes i have and uh, uh it, it's interesting as you're saying that um it's it's true that it's one of the greatest things uh that that we have instantaneous connection and uh consciousness um and it's also uh it it also has its negatives because people can feel instantly connected but often they don't feel as connected to the earth or they don't feel as connected to uh, the people right around them, and you—you, uh, you, you, uh, any time you, you, you're in a in a mature, metropolitan area, and you see everybody is focused on their screen in front of them, um, that's the downside. Because the more we're connected to life around us, the more we can care about the planet. So, it has both its uh, its blessings and its and and the curse as well in fact i, I was just looking at today's paper there's a, there were two kids both looking at their phones and uh one says to the other boy i feel sorry for all the people uh, before smartphones they just had uh they had to entertain themselves with what is it 197 million square miles and we can do it just just by holding our, uh, our our phone in our hand. And uh, so that's the downside. And it's true that there's instantaneous consciousness that can reach everyone, which is an amazing, amazing miracle. So uh, how we use that gift makes all the difference.
1: I know, and, you know, you look at entertainers and, you know, the Beatles, you know, I, I noticed something that I was reading where you, you love the the music of the Beatles, and
0: mm-hmm. I can
1: remember the very first Ed Sullivan show where where they were on, you know, and I would never have known about this except for my, my cousin, Susie Valenti, who was a little bit older, and we were at her their house for dinner, and they're like, oh my gosh, we have to watch the Ed Sullivan show, and on come these Beatles, and all you need is love, you know, and it's like, the way the musicians have have influenced us throughout time. I mean, it's just that's joy. You know, to me, music is joy. And your book um I want to mention this book, it's called Awakening Joy: 10 Steps to Happiness, and it was uh co-co-authored by um Baraj and Shoshana Alexander, and I love that you have the foreword by Jack Cornfield and then a preface by Ram Das. And you know, I saw Ram Das only once, and it was a few years ago, and well, it was probably eight years ago, but um it was in Maui at a conference by Wayne Dyer, and Wayne Dyer had never taught a conference in Maui thinking no one would come, and there were five hundred people there and I actually won the ticket by hay house publishing i how it was just a miracle and uh and I was undergoing i had just gone undergone breast cancer treatment, et cetera, and so here I am in Maui just having this fabulous time and guess who Wayne Dyer brings on to the stage after lunch mhm mhm Ram up uh-huh. and it was of course after he had written uh, uh instead of be here now it was be here love mhm and this man who's had be a love. stroke i'm sorry go ahead oh, be, be love, love, love now be love yeah. now yes and here he is he's had a stroke he can barely you know you have to really pay attention when he speaks and yet he emanated total joy mhm
0: mhm yeah so, he's he's quite he's quite amazing uh, i i i spend time with him i still uh i'm still in touch with him and visit him from time to time and yeah the more uh the more he keeps on uh, uh opening the he gets lighter and lighter he's just uh um presence of loving awareness. And uh, it's quite beautiful.
1: So I I am going to read, um, this is just a short, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is um, from chapter three in the book. And it's the Buddhist discourse on blessings. And Hmm. the Buddha says, it is a great blessing to spend time in the company of wise people and to honor those who are worthy. To live in a place that is uh, good for you, to do good deeds and to keep yourself going in the right direction, to be well-educated, to develop your skills, to train yourself in discipline and to use words carefully and beautifully, to take good care of your mother and father, to cherish your partner and children, and to engage in a livelihood that is harmless. And two more, to give generous, generously to others, to live with integrity to care for everyone you consider your family. And finally, to de- to avoid doing harm, to refrain from refrain from intoxicants, and to develop wholesome states of mind. Now there there are more, but I think that this is this pretty much summarizes it. The 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 final one that I like is to have a mind that is steady, unswayed by the ups and downs of life, free of sorrow and shame, and at peace.
0: Sounds pretty good, <laughs>
1: well, those are
0: blessings supreme,
1: yeah, now can you imagine if every child learned that on day one in school?
0: yeah, and particularly learned uh learned gratitude for all the goodness in their life
1: mhm there's a there's just so much stress right now, I mean there is a young man who was one of the main speakers at graduation the other night. And, of course, on Facebook I see that he's in the hospital. And I'm like, what in the world? He's supposed to be giving a talk tonight. And he he did give the talk. Um, he'd had the flu and had to have fluids, but I knew there was more to it. And um, so I saw him that night and I said, "You did. you gave a great talk. I said, I'm amazed that you were in a hospital bed. And hours later giving this talk, I said, There was more to this than fluids. What's going on? Mm -hmm. He says, oh, I have an ulcer. And I said, you are 18 years old. Mm -hmm. I said, I know you graduated with over a four-point average. I said, but you know that this is a wake-up call here, right? You get this, right? He says, yeah, yeah, I'll be okay now that the stress is over. I said, but the stress isn't over. It's just beginning. I said, you have four more years of college, and... I said, trust me, you need to find a way to, like, you know, deal with the stress. This was this was the universe kind of waking you up a little bit here. And I said, you're not going to have your mom, like, you know, feeding you broth and doing all this other stuff. We've, we, I said, you need to call, you know, not you need to call me, but I said, please let me know how I can help. And this is what is happening with our young people. So there's so much stress with the testing. There's so much stress with um, a lot of things. I do you see a time bros where they will be teaching mindfulness in
0: the schools? Oh they are teaching mindfulness in the schools I there's mean mindfulness in uh there's there's something called mindful schools out of, out in california where uh teachers from all over are learning how to bring mindfulness in education there's uh as i said uh, uh one of my uh um uh, colleagues uh Kate Munding um, who teaches the heart mind has the heart and mind education project and she goes to not only around the country but uh, around the world uh, bringing mindfulness curriculum in schools uh, there's a program in England uh, called dot B where mindfulness uh, is uh, sponsored by the u uh, k government in uh bringing it into uh into secondary schools or what we call high schools um, and uh actually there's 100 members of parliament that right now are in a mindfulness class with uh with my colleague Chris Cullen who developed the dot b program but mindfulness and education if you go to uh if you just google mindfulness in education you'll see um and huge number of links of both studies and uh, and programs that are happening. So uh, any teachers out there, I highly recommend you checking it out.
1: You know, there is a study done by the U.K. on people who are happier are healthier. And I forget the title of this, but it was a study. And um, one of the um, people who was involved in that study was a speaker excuse me, speaker at one of these conferences probably six years ago and you know, statistically I know this is why the health insurance companies are now having nurses educate people who have been through health um health challenges to to be more mindful. I mean there's a there's in the United States, oftentimes it has to be tied in with somehow Can we, how can we do a higher work product productivity, lessen healthcare costs, et cetera. There's always like an, a caveat somewhere where someone's going to win. But it's also like in, in the U.K., they figured out that happy people – just have happier lives and are not obsessing or getting caught up with, you know, the thoughts and imbalances that create the uh, dis-ease or disorders in the body. So isn't it it just amazing, you know, but but probably a lot of these schools will have to figure out how to get a grant, but they could put this in their education programs. There's money for
0: this. Oh yeah, there's there's lots of money and it's going to get bigger and bigger. Mindfulness in schools just happens to work. If you if you look in the book on the uh on the chapter in mindfulness, I talk about uh mindful mindfulness in schools and and uh my my friend Kate who uh who I mentioned who goes into inner city schools here in in uh in the Bay Area. And teaches these kids who come from uh, very um, underserved uh, communities and who because of um, a, a lot of external circumstances haven 't had uh, have as good opportunities as we have, and so have learned um, uh, to be vigilant and and uh, maybe uh, a bit more um, fearful and aggressive. And teaching mindfulness has had a huge impact on uh, those kids making better choices and getting in touch with the natural wisdom that's right inside of them and the good heart that's right inside of them. So uh, particularly around um, uh, uh, around reaching kids who haven't been as fortunate as as others, um, it's been a huge plus. So, uh, I'm all what I try to do is uh, is create as many opportunities for mindfulness to come into education as possible. In fact, just uh, just last month, I was my wife and I. My wife Jane teaches with me, uh, and we sometimes travel in other parts of the of, of the world. And we were invited to Trinidad by somebody who. Liked the book a lot and has um, has some good connections and uh, we gave a presentation to 550 school principals and then minister of education about the power of mindfulness and awakening joy principles uh, and how it could be applied in their schools. So uh, yeah, it's happening all over.
1: Fabulous. I, I once was on the National Council for Self Esteem. I was the local chapter um uh, president in St. Louis and you know, most of the people on you know, Jack Canfield, many, many other people that um all were in education and they were making a difference and so um I'm not I'm not involved with that group anymore, but I'll tell you, coming together and networking and sharing resources is the name of the game and your book is just fabulous, you know, with you know, explaining the different precepts and how it can be used, and I I I, I just want to mention um, step nine. It's called compassion, the natural expression of a joyful heart. And I this is a a saying from um, a commencement address in 1957 by um, Albert Schweitzer. And what he said is, the only ones among you who will be truly happy are those who have who have sought and found how to serve and to me the compassion um that automatically creates that feeling of wanting to serve and be of service and to have an open heart um i mean it goes hand in hand
0: that's it the the greatest happiness is not about what we can get it's uh how what we can give how we can make a contribution you you know when you're um you're affecting somebody else and and bringing them happiness because you care about them, uh, it's the best feeling in the world because the real happiness comes from uh, what comes out of us, not what comes towards us.
1: And so many people just still are looking outwardly, you know. um, And I think, you know, one of the when when the economy tanked and you know a few years ago, and people were just flipping out. I'll never forget seeing this lady on—I don't even know what show it was on, but um, because I don't watch a lot of TV. But sometimes I'll see something, and I'm like, "Oh, you better pay attention that that's there." And it was this lady who um, lost all of the Family Millions and um, just was. She was bereft. She just didn't know what to do. And then one day, she came to the um, awareness that, you know, I have food in the refrigerator. I have a roof over my head. You know, I, like, I'm here. She says, my biggest fear is I want to be a bag lady, but I'm going to become a bag lady if I don't change these thoughts. And the next thing you know, she wrote this book, My Fear of Being a Bag Lady. And it was Mm. like, even when she had all the money, she still had that thought that she might wind up being a bag lady. And then Lynn Twist, who um, has worked with a lot of philanthropists and different entrepreneurs going into programs and teaching them about different ways of using their resources to help others, came to St. Louis, and and it was right after everything happened, and she says, you know, I had four um, families that owned – luxury car dealerships in the Los Angeles area. And she said, those same people hired me to come back and help them figure out how to how to go to the people who had, they had sold those cars to who could no longer afford those cars and broker them into selling, like the car dealerships, all closed, obviously, there was no one out buying these cars, but then they, their new business was to go to the people who they had sold the cars to and broker selling those cars so that they would have money to live on, mm. you know, And and then the other thing was ironic is that many of the people who always had private chauffeurs or these luxury cars had never been on public transportation, mm. so now they found themselves taking transportation and seeing parts of their cities that they had never seen before. And mm-hmm. just all the beautiful things that, you know, which I think is what um, mindfulness is teaching is that, and, and jump in here because, you know, I'm just kind of like mm-hmm. all over. I can feel it. But, but the essence is that this is it. This right here, this moment is it. And so no matter what is happening, it's part of it.
0: Right. And that your your happiness isn't so dependent on the externals of what's happening to you but on how you're relating to what's happening to you right. when there's uh when there's wonderful things happening some people are busy saying bring it on I want more instead of saying oh my goodness how blessed i am and when there's difficult things happening some people can say how can i learn through this how can i be more understanding of the human condition that we all go through and others are saying why me why is this happening to me when the human condition is that there's sorrows and there's joys So it's not so much what's happening externally, it's how am I relating to what's happening and how can I train my heart and my mind to relate with greater wisdom and understanding and compassion.
1: So so listeners... This is the wisdom that you are going to be experiencing, this and so much more, by um, spending time with Baraz in St. Louis, June 12th through 14th. Um, I want to give you a couple of different websites. Um, of course, you could go, as I said, to the org forward slash retreats, but also um, spiritrock.org is a fabulous site that has just all kinds of information. And then, James, you have another one, Awakening Joy?
0: Yeah, awakeningjoy.info, and uh, also just want to mention for people who are listening who are uh, local in St. Louis that the Friday evening is a public talk that's uh, that's that's open to all, and that's uh, from six to seven thirty at the uh, what is it Big Bend Yoga? Oh yeah, uh,
1: Big Bend Yoga Center, Kitty Daly's place. That'll be fabulous.
0: So that's a Friday evening um, f- on the uh, on June fourteenth. Okay. So that's all on uh, Mid America, Mid America Dharma. Okay. Um, yeah. And the
1: price see. for this retreat is.
0: Price for the retreat is a sliding scale from uh, eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars for the weekend. So, and that uh, is fabulous. That's, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't well, I, and I should say um the way that I teach uh nothing of that goes to me uh I teach on, uh I teach on a, a donation basis so uh, besides that uh if people want to support my coming out with donations then that's appreciated that's how I uh that's my livelihood. So, um, But there's nothing expected, just um, just coming and sharing and seeing how it touches you.
1: For Roz, I cannot thank you enough. I just am grateful that our paths have crossed. I'm grateful that you're being brought to St. Louis by this wonderful group. And thank you for being my guest today
0: mm, from my a, heart to yours. Okay. Pleasure, Cindy, okay. bye-bye. All right,
1: bye.